Welcome to the Shalom Hartman Institute podcast. I'm Alan Abbey. The Hartman Institute is a center of transformative thinking and teaching. We address the major challenges facing the Jewish people and elevate the quality of Jewish life in Israel and around the world. Now is the time to consider attending a study retreat with us this summer. Our programs for community leaders and rabbis have been running for decades. For details on seminars in Israel and North America, go to hartman.org.il. And now, Dr. Micha Goodman, a research fellow at the Institute. His lecture is titled, The Value of Peoplehood. This is a tremendous, tremendous successful biography of David. But then something goes wrong. By the way, if we add the pieces from, from Shmuel Aleph to Shmuel Bet, so in the beginning he was only the king of a very small militia of Anashim Rekim Vepochazim. He was... He was the leader of a, of a group of gangsters and then the leader of Yehuda and Yehuda Israel and the entire Middle East and then everything goes wrong. Then there's Mered of Shalom. His son rebels against him. After his son rebels against him, he manages somehow to regain his authority and then Sheva ben Bichri rebels against him. And then finally, when that rebellion ends, then we have this chapter, which seems to be the end of a promising career. Samuel 2 is about the rise of David, it's also about the fall of David. And this story, the story of this plague, is a story that ends Samuel 2. If I want to draw the biography of David, it will be like this. What? It will, it will be like this. And the key moment where everything collapses is Samuel 2, chapter 11. You know what's... the Chapter 11, that's, that's the Chet. The Chet with Batsheva. Now after just trying to describe his entire biography, I'd like to go into this chapter, which I find a shocking chapter. I think this chapter is not, we don't reflect on this chapter enough. It's not a part of curriculum. It's not, but still, I have a intuition that you might be able to use this material when you go back home. So what we'll do is we're going to read chapter, we'll do the following, like I said, we're going to read this chapter carefully. In parallel, I want to read Chronicles in order to, and use Chronicles just to realize when I don't realize, to let that text realize, when am I bumping into something serious, something radical? And have I known that I bumped into something radical? Even if I didn't notice it, Chronicles noticed it. Because every time it changes, every time it censors the text, I want to ask, why? Who is it protecting? What are they defending? What are they trying to hide? Paradoxically, the fact that Chronicles is pointing out that he's trying to hide something, that by itself is exposing it. After that, we'll do Ksat Akedah, and then we'll go back to our, our main thing. Vayosef af Adonai lacharot be'Yisrael. I'll be reading in Hebrew. It feels more comfortable in English, so follow me in English. Vayosef af Adonai lacharot be'Yisrael vayaset et David bahim. 
By the way, what does it say in Divrei Yamim? Satan. Now, who is the Divrei Yamim protecting in this first opening verse? God. Okay. Also, God can't sin for some reason. Vayaset et David bahim lemor lech mene et Israel veet Yehuda. Lech mene et Israel. What is the sin that that Lichora, this chapter, is discussing? You're not allowed to count. Unless God tells you to. No, God here doesn't tell him. God here injects the sin into him. That's a great theological, why is he doing this? You're not allowed to count. According to Parashat Kitisa, why aren't you allowed to count? Why are you never allowed to count? According to the Bible. It doesn't say, but it says what is the punishment. What's the punishment for counting according to the, to the Chumash? What? Magifa. It seems like the Bible has black humor. I mean, you count, and once you count, there's a makifa, meaning you have to count again. You can't ever get your numbers right. It seems like this is the only text I know where the idea of of sfira v'negev, counting, and your whole counting gets screwed up because now you lost. This is the only place I know where this is actually implemented. And now a question I'd like to ask, what's the sin in counting? What's the big deal in counting? And we get over it, what's the big deal in counting? Well, yeah, you, you, you recognize your boundaries, you're saying... It's about control, it's about seeing people as objects. Now I think, your explanations here, this is I think exactly what struggles David's Yad Yad Yemino Shel David, Yoav. Vayomer HaMelech El Yoav Sarachai Lasherito, Shutna Bechol Shivtei Yisrael, Midan Vead Be'er Sheva, Ufikdu Et Ha'am, Veyadati Et Mispar Ha'am. Beautiful. What's the ex- what is David's explanation? Why does he want you to count the people? Why? Because he wants to know. I mean, the only reason, it's not that he's preparing them for a war. He doesn't need to know how, many, how to tax the people. Why does he want to know how many people they are? Because he wants to know. Now, this is exactly what Yoav is telling him. Vayomer Yoav elamelech Yosef Adonai Eloech Elam Kahen Vechemeapamim Look how great you are, my king. Why do you need to count? And by Yoav's answer, we can understand what the question is. Counting is not allowed because you see people as objects and they're there to satisfy your need to feel that you are powerful, that you are in control. We have obsessive tendencies to count. How many people showed up to our classes? How many people come to the seminar? How many rabbis came this summer to Hartman? How many, yeah, how many people? We have tendencies because we want, to, we want to be constantly exposed to our success, to see our power. The Middle Ages is filled with, with, um, with stories about kings that used to be actually literally 
high when they used to count their, their gold. We want to be exposed to our power. And what we have tells us that's the illusion, a story about who we are. The illusion is that we are the things that we own. We are the people that we control and we want to count. The obsessive and the office telling you, listen, you're so great, you don't need to count. Well, it seems like this is the sin. Don't count. The people aren't there to satisfy your needs, your, your ego needs. You're there to serve them. This seems adkan. Very simple, clear. We all echoed it. I think that's the sin. But now they start counting. David is not, he still wants to know, because he wants to know. Where do they start? They start in the other side of the Jordan River, which was Israel. And they start going, it's an interesting tour of Israel that they do. They go up north. We are like, it's, right, it's close to the Golan Heights, not there exactly. We are in the Golan Heights this year, this time around. Well, it's a great idea to go. No, just in case. <laughs> you know, Obama. Vayavo <laughs> Dana. They enter back into Israel. They go, Dana, you know where Nachal Dan is, Kibbutz Dan. Now we're facing Lebanon. Sometimes it's not the best place to hang around. It's actually beautiful. You ever heard in the Banyas, Nachal Dan? Yeah? Um, now they're entering Lebanon. The last Jews to be in Sor were sent there by Arik Sharon. And now they take, now they go south. By the way, who is the person that always wanders? That's a Satan. There's something Satan here about this. That's a different issue. We had the grant. We, okay, we covered Israel, but we met, we covered the people. We, we counted the people. They come to Jerusalem. Just want to make one comment. They always count Israel and Yehuda differently. I want to make one comment. You know how after Shlomo dies, the kingdom separates. It seems like it never really united. It never, they, since they count them differently, I think a better way to articulate it, it's not that the kingdom separated, it just it always, it failed to unite. When you count... Different, so it's, you're not the same group. Okay, that was the sin. The grand sin. And everything is counted. The people are counted, and the time it takes to count is counted. 
Now comes Yeshchet. Veyesh. Veyesh Onesh. Vayach Lev David Oto Achrechen Safar Etaam. There is a sin. Now there is a punishment. What is the punishment? Vayach Lev David Oto. What happened to David as a result of the Mifkad? Vayach Lev David. What happens to him? Okay, now I hear heartbroken. What else do I hear? What are you saying? Okay, so you're saying it's a conscience attack? But let's try to... Depressed? You're so psychological. Maybe, maybe that's possible, but maybe another literal reading would be what happened to him? Now it's either physical or psychological. Anyway, he's in pain. It's depression, it's, it's, it's his conscience, it's whatever, it, or it's his heart. He's in pain. He regrets what he, he's in pain. Vayach lev David oto. And I want to emphasize this, Vayach lev David oto, because for some reason, this is radical stuff. <laughs> I have no idea, <laughs> I have no idea why, but the, the Mechaber, or the Mechabrim of Divrei Yamim, couldn't take this Vayach Lev David Oto. What does it say in Divrei Yamin? I thought you guys prepared your homework. It says, <laughs> it says, Vayach et Israel. For some reason, it was important for the Mechabrim of Divrei Yamin to say that it's not that his David's heart, that, that God hit David's heart, God hit the entire nation. For some reason, shifting the pain from David to the... To, to the entire nation, that was important for the writer, the writers of Divrei Amin. And what I want to ask, what mind, what mind, I hope this metaphor works in English, what mind did we just step on? Does that metaphor work? Okay. Now, what did we just step on? Like, what's so troubling about this? I want to continue to read, okay? Birshutcha. Oh, no, I'm just I'm key to asking. Pasuk Esau Vayomer David el Adonai Chatati meod asher asiti Vata Adonai Haaver night avon avdecha Haaver Biblical scholars teach us what Haaver means Haaver is a more primitive version of Kaper Kaper means erase my sin Haaver means transfer my sin Many people think that korbanot is not about, used to be not about kapara, but about ha'avara. Meaning, I'm supposed to die, but ani ma'avir et sin. Maybe that's what the seir ha'mishtalach is about. Ha'avarat sin, Ha'avarat. It's not about erasing the sin. It's about somehow, metaphysically, transforming the sin somewhere else. And he says, please relocate the sin. That's David's bakasha. I can't take this heartache in any way you want to read it. Please, let someone else have it. That's a very nice request of David. Please let someone else have this sin. Meaning, when did he pray to God? I guess before he went to sleep. 
ודבר אדוני היה אל גד הנביא חוזה דוד לאמור, and God has an answer. God meaning God. And God. הלוך ודיברת אל דוד, כה אמר אדוני, שלוש אנוכי נוטל עליך. God is saying, you know, I, I, I have an offer. You want to relocate your sin? Well, here's three alternatives. בחר לך אחת מהם ואעשה לך. Choose one. You can choose one. ויבוא גד אל דוד ויגד לו ויאמר לו, התבוא לך שבע שנים רעב בארצך. Okay, you want? You can choose your, the punishment. Here are seven years of hunger. That reminds us, I think, of seven years of hunger. The option number two, military defeat, choose you. Hunger, famine, or military defeat. It's a nice dilemma. Or three days of a magifa, of a plague. ואתה דע וראה מה אשיב שולחי דבר. לא, think, לא. זה מה הסתדרמה? Do you want your pain long or very, very, you know, very, very destructive but short to get over it with three days? By the way, דברי הימים for some reason says it's not three days. Three years and, oh yeah, three, yeah, he changes that. I think he doesn't like the way it's, I don't know. I have no idea why, what, what is the problem with the seven years issue? Not to compare. So there's a reading here maybe, wow. Not to compare David to Pharaoh. That's trying to de-Pharaohize David. Now he has a dilemma. Now I want to think about David's dilemma. What's the dilemma about? It's the following dilemma. He had, he made a sin, and then there's Vayach Lev David Oto. And then David says to God, please relocate the sin. And God comes back through God and tells him, well, you can choose. Either the collective suffers seven years, or the collective suffers military defeat, or the collective suffers collective plague. And... What's David's answer? He's so righteous. Vayomer David el Gad. This is nefilat apayim. Tzar li meod. Ni plana. Beyad Adonai ki rabim rachamav. Vebeyad adam alepola. I don't want military defeats. I want God to punish me. I want plague. God, now they're so righteous. Ki rabim rachamav. Beyad adam alepola. And here's, I think, the question that I think the Mechad Berav Divrei Amim is asking, or hiding. Maybe this is David's sin. David's sin is not the sin that led to the punishment. David's sin is choosing the punishment. David had individual pain. Vayach lev David oto. And now the deal that God, that God is offering him is turning his individual pain into collective pain. Let 
the entire nation suffer instead of you. David <laughs> is the opposite of Jesus Christ. It's not the individual suffering for the collective. What David is choosing here is for the collective to suffer instead of the individual. And this, I think, is not my reading. This is Divrei HaYamim's reading. How does Divrei HaYamim read this? What is Divrei HaYamim doing here? When Divrei HaYamim says, Vayachet Yisrael, how did he save David from offering God the deal of having the collective suffer instead of the individual? How does Divrei HaYamim save David from that sin? What? It's collective to begin with. It's collective. Now he's just you now channeling uh, like, uh, somehow what kind of collective pain is it going to be. See, by changing it from Vayach Lev David to Vayach et Israel, they're trying to hide the sin, but by hiding the sin, I think if it was of a divinity, I wouldn't have noticed that there is a sin here. Vayach Lev David Oto, turning into Vayach et Israel, hides the fact that the deal that David offered God was Ha'averna and God comes back, what do you prefer, the collective to have this suffering, or this pain, or this pain? And Sefer Divrei Yamim did even something more sophisticated than that. When David nofel al panav and says, David al-Gad, ni plana beyad Adonai. Do you know how it's written in Divrei Yamim? E plana beyad Adonai. What is Divrei Yamim turning David into? Now, he's willing to suffer for the collective. It doesn't play out. It doesn't make any sense textually. But Zivrei Yamim are turning the... If the pain is collective, if the pain is individual in Shmuel, and now the collective needs to suffer for it, Zivrei Yamim is trying to reverse it. It doesn't make textual sense, but it's trying to reverse it. It's... The collective is suffering, and David is telling God... So, let's... I see there's a lot of questions here. Let me just summarize this. We thought that there's a chet and the onish. The chet is the chet of counting. The onish is the plague. I want to rephrase that. There's a chet... And then there's the greater chet. The chet is not the onish. The chet is pchirat the onish. But if you think about it, it's the same sin. What was the sin of counting? When you see the people as your resource, as objects, they're there to satisfy you. That people are there for me. That was the chet of counting. That, and now again, we shouldn't be surprised when how does David see the people all over again? They are there to, first they're there to satisfy your ego. Afterwards, they're there to suffer instead of you. It seems like if Samuel too speaks about the rise and fall of David, well, it's hard to imagine going lower than this. I think this is where David lets us down. He lets us down, I think, three times. When he counts the people, okay, that's human. Then he asks God to relocate the sin not through form of sacrifice. Just let someone else suffer for this. And when God comes back and He says, you know what, it's going to be the entire Israel, He says, okay, let's go for the plague. And what He doesn't say is, 
He doesn't say, Ha'afta mi tzadikim rasha. He's not the inheritor of the Abrahamic Moses. He's saying, okay, but play. And, and, and unbelievable. And we say this every... That's exactly what he says in verse 17. But we didn't get there yet. We didn't get there yet. We're, not, we're now in his sin. Okay, so let, 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 let's continue. Now, uh, is it okay? I, I, want, I, want, I want to... Uh, we have a lot of work to do today, to establish today. Besedom? Shalom Bavoda. Besedom? I mean... Vayomer They're still counting. They're still counting. Now they're counting to death. So 70,000 people have to die because David had heartache. Now the plague is played out as or imagined as a malach. Now I think we need to read 16 as a koteret to everything that's going to happen now, Vainachem Adonai, Vilara, ויומר דוד אל אדוני בירותו את המלאך המכה בעם, ויומר, הנה אנוכי חטאתי, ואנוכי העוויתי, ואלה הצאן, מה עשו? מה אתה יודע מה יוז'י צאן דאז? ואלה הצאן, מה עשו? תהינה ידך בי ובבית אבי. דיוויד נאו איז רפרזינג the deal. God, I asked you to have the collective suffer instead of me. I want to offer you a new deal now. Kill me, not them. Kill me and my entire family. Not them. It's a good question. Well, let's... Let, let's it's a good question. What? Seven... Well, it's... 70,000 casualties later, he offers God this deal. And then God tells him, okay, um, um, he says, God, okay, now, now kill me and not them. He's now offering the opposite deal. Now he is, excuse my falling metaphor, now he is offering the Jesus Christ type deal. I'll suffer, not, but not the collective suffer for me, I'll suffer for the collective. And God tells him, what does God answer? He doesn't answer. He goes, um, God tells him to go and build a Mizbech. To Goren Arvana Yevusi. Where is Goren Arvana Yevusi? Where is Yevus? We all know where Yevus is. It's around the corner. It's right over here. 
This is Yerushalayim, this is Yevus. He goes, it's, it Harab, he goes, we're talking about Harabait. He goes to Harabait. And Vayal David Kedvar Gad, Kashel Tziva Adonai, Pasuk, yeah, we, we skipped the first, Nachon. God, God told him to go build a Mizbeach. Okay, the king now comes to Arvana, if we see this anonymous person that owns a, a gorin. How do you say gorin? A what? A threshing floor. It owns a threshing floor. God doesn't go to a Mizbeach there. Now, it seems like this is the third deal. Deal one, let the collective suffer instead of me. Deal two, let me suffer instead of the collective. God is now offering the third deal. What's the third deal? Make a sacrifice. Now, let's make a long story short. He builds the Mizbeach, Pasuk of Dalid, Vayal or Pasuk of Hei, Vayvin Sham David Mizbeach Adonai, Vayiten Olo Tushlamim, Finally, we locate the sin from David to the collective, from the collective back to David, and now finally, where do they locate the sin? On the Korban, and it's out of their hands. What a story. What an amazing story. This is a story where the sin expands from seeing the people as there to satisfy your ego. It expands to seeing the people as there to suffer instead of you, meaning that people are objects there to, to, to serve me, to satisfy me. And then the right, and then at a certain moment, David does tshuva, realizes that leadership is not about the people serving me, but it's about me serving them. And in this case, it's not about them suffering for me. I need to suffer for them. But God, God doesn't need David to die for the people. God needs David to want to die for the people. Once God hears that, he says, you know what? Build the Mizbeach, build the sacrifice. I don't know if you want to do this in Yom Kippur. But it's a great story about tshuva. Now, to the competing narrative. If you ask, what exposes the holiness of Arabite? Well, this is, who was the first one to great, great, offer sacrifice on Arabite? This was when the plague stopped. This is the founding myth. This is when David was willing to sacrifice himself and his, and his house and his children, everything. But, and instead, they built this Mizdech. Divrei Amin is very explicit. He, he realizes that the Mizdech is at that time, where is it? And Givon, therefore, Divrei realizes that this means that the Mizdech is going to be moved from Givon to Yerushalayim. This is David founding, in many ways, the, it is the first sacrifice of Beit HaMikdash. But the competing narrative is Avraham. Now, also Avraham created the foundations for Beit HaMikdash. 
It seems like he's, he's the first one to sacrifice. That's a narrative saying, exposing that the story of Abraham, not the story of David, exposes the Kedusha of Harabait. Now I'd like to go now to the story of Yakedah, to the story of Abraham, and try to see what, what's, how can this story of Abraham help us understand the Chidush, the story of David. We're moving now to the second theological story, to the competition. What what is the Mikdash about? I know there must be a lot of questions. In the end, we'll open it for a lot of questions. Okay, don't worry. The word Nisa in Hebrew has many meanings. You know, my mind reads this. Nisa milishon ma? Degil. Nis. He wants to turn this story into a role model. Vayomer elav Avraham, vayomer hineni. Vomer kachmat binchat yechitcha sheraf tizchak velech lecha leretz haolah v'taleu sham leolah lechad me'arim asher omar lecha. A great reader of this is Martin Buber. It says twice in the biography of Abraham, actually the entire Bible, Lech Lecha. It says Lech Lecha, Lech Lecha, Me'artecha, Mimrodetcha, Bibetavicha. And it says here again, Lech Lecha, Eleretz Amoria. Actually, if you see the entire Mivne Lishoni, it says there, Lech Lecha, Me'artecha, Mimrodetcha, what does it say here? With the resolution growing in, zooming in. We have the same words, the same structure, and Martin Buber was the first to realize that maybe the Torah is trying to say, let's, come, let's try to compare that lech lecha to this lech lecha. That lech lecha was about sacrifice. This lech lecha is about sacrifice. But in that lech lecha, lech lecha me'artzecha, when he's asked to leave his home and go to el aret asher ereka, he's asked to sacrifice his entire past, everything he's ever created. But in this lech lecha, he's asked to sacrifice his entire future. Sorry, it's, it's even more than that. Because when he was, it's not just he was, he was asked to sacrifice the past, and here's the future I want to pick up on Buber. It's that when he sacrificed the past and his present, it was only for the future. He did everything for the Zerah. And now what he's asked to sacrifice, now he's asked to sacrifice, your, your entire life you're asked to sacrifice for something. That gives meaning to all your sacrifice. At this moment, he's asked to sacrifice that something. He sacrificed his whole past and present for the future, and he suffered a lot for that future. That's all con- we all know his biography is concentrated in the figure of Yitzchak. We thought it would be Lord, we have no idea. Now it's Yitzchak. Now he says, I'll with Yitzchak. We can understand all the sacrifice you're sacrificing for something, but it's impossible to understand why would you sacrifice that something. In other words, it's almost like Abraham is not only sacrificing Isaac, he's sacrificing himself. In a metaphorical way, right next to Yitzchak is lying down Avraham. 
Yitzchak is going to lose his life, Avram is going to lose the meaning of his life. Everything is lost in that moment. This is why Laibovich loves this story. This is the prototype. This is the prototype of what religious life is about. Religiosity is about sacrifice. It's about overcoming yourself, not about expressing yourself. This is the story of the Akedah. It's about overcome. This is why we say it every day in Tefillah, says Leibovitch. In a very anti-Christian moment of Leibovitch hated Christianity. I'm sorry, my Uncle Bill. Leibovitch <laughs> hated Christianity. And in a very derogatory moment, he says that, um, actually, it's brilliant the way he structured it. He said, Leibovitch writes, should I say that in English again? Yeah. That the founding myth of Christianity says Leibovitch, which was, he had a lot of problems with Christianity, he had his own issues, is the myth of, of the, um, the crucifixion. And the founding myth of Judaism is is a sacrifice of Isaac. And Lyra said, well, it's kind of the same story, just opposite. The crucifix is about God killing his son for man. The story of Avraham is about man willing to kill his son for God. The question is, is a religion about serving God or about God serving you? Is it, e is it egocentric? religion, or is it theocentric religion? This is all the classic, I'm offering you for free, all the classic Leibovitchian moves. Since, oh no, it's recorded. Hartman doesn't like this kind of stuff. <laughs> no. Yeah, so we'll bring in Storm to balance it. But, but, but this, is, this is a, now, now here's a question I'd like to, I'd like to ask and then open for broad, for broad discussion. Okay, we know the rest of the story, right? right? He goes and they walk for three days all the way to Jerusalem. And here at Kierkegaard, you know, there's some real amazing remarks. I mean, the fact that it's three days, there's a lot of room to imagine what happened during those three days, but it's important those three days. Because it's not that there was revelation, he's ecstatic, he goes to kill his son. Oh no, there's enough time for the ecstasy and for all the Hitler, for, for all the so passion, for the passion to dry out. And when it's very cold, when you're three days after the impact of the revelation, that see, that is the Nisayon. And we can imagine into those three days of a walk with a father and son, and here there's so many beautiful readings. Because Abraham says twice he named me in this story. I'm sure you're acquainted with this. He named me in Hebrew means that I am 100% with you. I'm completely devoted to you. I'm only with you. Because Abraham says here, he named twice. He says, he named me to God. But when Isaac calls him, he says, he named me to Isaac. Meaning, I am 100% your father. I'm still here with you. Even in these moments. It's a tremendous, it's, the, 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 this, is, uh, this is a tremendous story. Meaning, he didn't deny his fatherhood when he was going 
That, that, would, that would be easy. Psychologically speaking, that would have been the classic move, to deny your fatherhood in order to kill your son. But he's still a father when he's out there to, 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 to kill his son. But at the last moment, God tells him, no, no, you don't have to kill Isaac. It's you see that sin, sacrifice, sacrifice the say, the lamb, not, not, not your son. And it seems like so. And, and this is the myth exposes the holiness of Harabait. What is the holiness of Harabait? According to this myth, the fact that Abraham, not the fact that he killed his son, but the fact that what? that he wanted, that he was willing to do so. God is not interested in your ultimate sacrifice. He is interested in your ultimate motivation. Are you willing to overcome yourself? Are you willing to see, to overcome everything you are as a human being? That's, that's, these are two competing stories one is the story of Avraham and the story of David. Competing theological stories, what, what is the story that points out the Kedusha of Yerushalayim? Is it the plague that stopped? Or is it the second Lech Lecha of Avraham? But if you think about it again, it's the same story. It's the same story. Both of them are about the story that the drama of the story is that it's the story that didn't happen. The sacrifice of Yitzchak is a sacrifice that didn't happen. Abraham offering God to sacrifice himself is about Abraham about a sacrifice that didn't happen. It's a stories of motivations for sacrifice without sacrifice. It's the same story. By the way, at the same place. So there is a difference. What's the difference? That they're both willing to sacrifice everything for something greater than them. The difference is that, that the Abraham was tzaddik me'atchala. It was linear. And for David, well, like David, it's after... After he sent David Chazal say, Mekim Olashel Tshuva. He is the inventor of Tshuva. This is a story of Tshuva of David. So, but it's, but the, the moment of sacrifice is the same moment. It's people willing to sacrifice everything for something greater than them, and then in the end, there's a Ayl Achar Nechaz Basfach, there's sacrifice that replaces. I'm sacrificing themselves. By the way, in both cases, we have the Malach appearing at the end. I think Divrayim picked up on this. What does God tell the Malach in Divrayim? You saw that? What did God tell the Malach? Yeah. God tells, tells the Malach to put his hand down. And the Akedah, who tells Abraham to put his hand down? The Malach. 
We have David about with his hand out, about the, the Malach says, Here we have the Malach sand out. God tells him, Put your hands back in your pocket. That seems like we have two very similar myths telling us that Judaism is about. There's a, or belonging to something greater than you has to mean that sometimes it's put to a test. Are you willing to, to sacrifice something for someone or somebody or something that's greater than you? Belonging is, am I willing to sacrifice for something greater than myself? And it's both stories. God doesn't want you to sacrifice, but, he want, but holiness is exposed when you have that moment when you are willing to sacrifice. So we have two stories repeating themselves. It's very nice. But personally, my reading of the Bible is that biblical stories never repeat themselves. And when biblical stories repeat themselves, it's not because they want to show you how everything is similar. On the contrary, when biblical stories repeat themselves, they're doing that because they want to show you how things are different. You see, cognitively speaking, we have a problem recognizing differences between things that are different. I mean, I'm sure none of you, while, you, while you're listening, were thinking to yourself out loud, what a great difference between the Diet Coke and the microphone. They're so different. I mean, this is like, it's so, and this is, no, we don't do that. We don't realize differences between things that are different. We only realize differences between things that are similar. Differences capture our mind only when they're similar. And biblical stories repeat themselves, and they're very similar, only to expose how different they are. And maybe we have here, I believe, it's the same Yivnesi Fruti. How do you say? It's a literary structure. Literary structure. Thank you. That's, I sound like a real Oxford. Literary uh, structure. But it's in the use of opposite stories. Because what is David sacrificing for? David is sacrificing for Am Yisrael. Abraham is sacrificing for Elohei Yisrael. David's sacrifice is a religious sacrifice. Sorry, Abraham's sacrifice is a religious sacrifice. David's sacrifice is a national sacrifice. Furthermore, David, that's Abraham, that's not sacrificing for Am Yisrael, for the people of Israel, but for the God of Israel. Who is he sacrificing? He is sacrificing it. He's sacrificing Israel. The narrative of the Akedah is a narrative where I'm, I'm supposed to sacrifice everything for God. The narrative of David is that what Jewish sacrifice is about is when you're willing to suffer for the greater good. But the greater good is Am Yisrael. You see, it's the same narrative, but exactly opposite. They're both speaking about sacrifice for something greater. They just have a machlok at this. What is greater? Is it God or is it the people? When he spoke about the androgynous, what is the story of Judaism about? Is that belonging to a people or belonging to a religion? About sacrificing for God or sacrificing for the nation? And this machloket on what is the Kedushah of Beit HaMikdash, these are competing narratives about what is Judaism about? Israelis have a tendency 
Zionist secular Israelis have a tendency to hate it when other Israelis say the reason why we don't go to the army is because anachnu memitim atzmenu be'ohalas shel Torah. There's another world of sacrifice out there for us. <laughs> and when you're in basic training and you think about the people studying Gitim, <laughs> saying, hey, that's, <laughs> why don't I go for that sacrifice? But these are truly, till today, two competing narratives about what is Judaism, what is it, what is it first? Is it a religion or is it a nation? And what does it demand from me? It's about overcoming yourself in certain moments, heroic moments. But to overcome myself for the, for the klal, for the people, that is David's narrative, or is it for God? Even if it means sometimes turning my back to the people. The Avraham narrative. Well, what's interesting about the Bible? And, and this question is troubling the Jewish people for the past 150 years, trying to realize what are we, a religion or a nation? And we have the reform movement in its beginning moments, trying to reform Judaism in its beginning moments. What was reforming Judaism? Reforming it from a nation to a religion. Erasing Hebrew to at least... Yeah, the reform movement went a long way since then. You can't join Zionism later on. And, and, but at that my finding moment, it was an attempt to do an operation defining as a religion. Be'erich, a little bit later, in the beginning of the 20th century, we have Brenner, Berdichevsky, the founders of the Zionist idea that tried to create the opposite operation, defining Judaism only as a nation and seeing all the religious stuff as uh, something we have to somehow get rid of. And if can't, we can't get rid of it, we need to minimize it. Now, this, this dilemma is today a very serious dilemma. By the way, according to part of this agreement with the Arab world, is that the Arab world don't think that the Jewish people have a right of Hagdarat Smith, of self-determination. We don't have, we're not a people that deserve a state. Not because we don't deserve a state, but why? We're not a people, but this isn't an Arab opinion. This is a very, this is rooted deep in Judaism. The attempt, let's try to blur the nation parts and express the religious parts. And radical secular Zionism trying to do the exact opposite operation. Two reform movements trying to reform Judaism. By the way, one succeeded tremendously in Israel, the second succeeded tremendously in North America, and we have like two different Judaism developing. A religious-centered, religion-centered Judaism in North America, and a very nation-centered Judaism in Israel? I don't think they're both that dichotomic today. Secular Zionism today is much, becoming much more closer to Judaism as a religion, and, and the liberal movement in America becoming much more, I mean, ever since, uh, you know, more than it. But, 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 but there's still, but this is, if there's a real machloket in the 20th century, it's not about... What kind of a religion we want to be? Orthodox, this, that. It's about, is it Michal a religion? But these great, this great dilemma, I think it's not a dilemma 
that we ask about Judaism, this is the dilemma of Judaism. Because when we ask the Bible, what's the answer to this question? What is the founding myth of the Kedusha? The Bible gives us both answers. David Vavraham. Both answers. This is what's troubling about the Bible, that many times you come with the Bible, you come to the Bible with a question, and all you get back is an upgrade of the question. So is it the story of David or the story of Avraham? Before the disengage, I want, I'll open this just in a second for all your comments and questions. Before the, what happened in Gaza, I was, spoke to a group of very, very, very passionately religious soldiers. And the army thought I might be able to convince, they bought me in to convince them not to do any problems in those days. And it was an amazing, amazing moment speaking to these amazing soldiers. This is how they felt. They felt that the Knesset that represents Am Yisrael is asking them to lefanot yeshuvim. They felt that their rabbis, they're representing Elohei Yisrael, is asking them not to. Now, is the Knesset representative of the people? Are the rabbis representative of God? Let's, we can debate that, but that was the feeling in those defining moments. It's, who am I loyal to? To the people or to God? What is my narrative? Is it David or Abraham? That was, see, see, ever since we built the state of it, this is a very, this is a founding, this is where, where this dilemma has a lot, a lot to speak for. By the way, in those days, the army was so smart and it dealt with the soldiers with it was so elegant the way it dealt with the soldiers, none of them really had to face the dilemma. The army just de-issuized it in a very smart way. Probably I think our army still has sometimes that kind of intelligence, doesn't, to deal with, with great issues, not by solving them, but just by, somehow, by de-issuizing them. This guy had to, you know, had to cook, and this guy had to be on... Uh, Shmirah somewhere else, and somehow, somehow, we didn't face that dilemma that summer, but it doesn't mean that some next summer we won't face in greater numbers the David Avraham, David versus Avraham dilemma. Well, th th that's a, a nice reading. Huh? The, way, the way I like to read it is as the following Abraham's motivation his whole life was egocentric motivation because he's willing to sacrifice everything for the promise that he will, his seed will, you know, will and for that, so it's actually, he's willing to sacrifice everything for that. And when God tells him now, sacrifice that, that's, that's a moment where he needs to overcome, now, now it's not about, it's not egocentric anymore. It's not about you anymore. That's why this is a founding moment. Abraham had the same thing. The people are, are, are serving, are, are for me, the people are for me. And now there's one moment you realize, well, well, I said, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I so he says, David says, now at this moment, I realize that I'm there for them. 
And it's both, these are two, two transformative moments of Avraham and David. And what I like, what I try to share is that we felt that these are the same, it's, it's the same story. Just, and these are stories of true people overcoming themselves, but the Machloketir, the great is overcoming themselves for what? And I, I still, I, 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 I believe that the story of Avraham is only about God and about, about sacrificing everything, including the Jewish nation for God. And I hear what you say, well, that was great for the nation. That's in God's eyes. But for Avraham, he's willing to give up being now the father of a nation. He's willing to give that up right now, right here, right now. And obviously, if it wasn't for that story, our nation wouldn't have had that story. But this is, I think, this is a truly, a pure religious story. And in David, it's a pure, it's a pure nation story. And, and, and the, the Bible has both, but by the way, we don't have both. The reason why we don't have both is because we're all acquainted with the Abraham story. David's story was neglected. Neglected. The Bible canonized both, but the collective memory of the Jewish people, for some reason, captured the, captured the Abraham story, and the David story faded away. The Akedah is saying, the, the Abraham is a simple story, because there's no moral dilemmas here. It's God. God wants to sacrifice everything. Either you do, you don't. When you're dealing with people, you're dealing with politics, you're dealing with tough decisions. Do I send the people to the boat? Do I not? It's, it's, it's impossible decisions. And uh, to, to, uh, I'll try to deal, by the way, tomorrow with, with the challenges of sovereignty and all the ethical, how ethically it's impossible to deal with it. But it's, it's definitely, it's played out here 70,000, we have 70,000 reasons not to, to go for the religious model in order to realize what's important. One, I'd like to pick up from here the method of using Divrei Yamim. What we did was a Midrash on the Midrash of Divrei Yamim. Divrei Yamim is a Midrash on Sefer Shmuel, and we try to, it tries to hide something radical in Sefer Shmuel, but when you're obsessively trying to hide something, you're actually exposing it. If it wasn't for Divrei Yamim saying, personally, changing Vayach Lev David Atoto, Vayach at Yisrael, I would have never asked myself the question, What's the, what's the big deal with, where is the sin here that he's hiding? And I think there was a tremendous sin and tremendous tshuva that creates a beautiful, amazing story that competes with the story in Bereshit and, and together create a true tension, a biblical tension, which is a Jewish tension about what is Judaism about. And I think the, Bible's an, the biblical answer is that Judaism is about both, but there's no way to harmonize. Judaism is about both, and you're demanded to see there's something greater than you that's, that's expressed as a religion. There's something greater than you that's expressed as, the, as, as a nation. And it's going to be like it is in the Bible, and like it is throughout history. You have been listening to Dr. Micha Goodman, a research fellow at the Shalom Hartman Institute. You can hear more from Micha and other Institute scholars by subscribing to this podcast. For information about the Hartman Institute and our courses in North America and Israel, go to hartman.org.il. The Hartman Institute podcast is produced by Tony Jason. Music by Kevin McLeod. I'm Alan Abbey. 
Thank you for listening, and we will see you again next time.